Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're continuing in our series in Philippians, and this week we're in chapter 3. And thank you to my lovely, lovely hubby, Trevor, for reading uh, verses 1 to 14 for us. And um, the series, as you know, is called Unshakable Joy. And I have entitled this little talk, No Self-Confidence. So at the very beginning, um, Paul is writing to his friends in Philippi. And I've called the beginning of it, the first verse, Knowing Joy. Because Paul is telling them, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your circumstances are, be full of the joy of the Lord. Praise the Lord, no matter what. And I could just imagine Paul in his favourite armchair with a mug of coffee and his quill pen. He's writing to his friends. These guys who've just come to know Jesus, first generation Christians, and he's, he's encouraging them. It's not hard to be full of joy and rejoice in the Lord when things are going well. But you know, Paul wasn't having a cup of coffee in his favourite armchair. Paul was actually in prison. He was facing possible execution. How do you rejoice in the Lord when things are like that? And then I looked up rejoice. Actually, I googled it because Google tells you everything. So here's what Google says about rejoice. So Google says that to rejoice is to feel or show great joy or delight. How do you do that? When you're stuck in prison or when you're stuck in your own home because of coronavirus. When you can't meet your friends or your family and you're lonely or you're dying or you wonder if your business is going to survive or if you're going to pay your bills. How do you rejoice in a situation like that? It's impossible humanly. But with God, it's different. Let me give you an example from my own experience. I found myself last year driving down to Roscommon to James, Elaine, Kiva and Eva. And Eva, sorry, Kiva had been rushed to hospital because she'd had a seizure. And when I got there, she was in hospital in a little side ward and I could see through the glass that James and Elaine and Eva were with her, as were some nurses. And as I stood outside the ward and I watched in, Kiva had another seizure. And the place went mad. People were running up and down the corridor. Nurses were shouting, get a doctor, get a doctor. Baby's having a seizure. And Elaine came out and thrust baby Aoife into my arms. And I took her off and she and I walked up and down the corridor as all of this was going on. And I found myself crying out to God. And you know, I was reminded of, do you remember the time the, the disciples were out in the boat? And there was a storm and actually they thought they were going to drown and Jesus was asleep and they woke him up and said to him, do you not care? We're going to die here, do you not care? But he did care and he stood up and he said, peace be still and the waves were calmed and the wind stopped. And as I walked up and down that corridor, I thought we're in the middle of a storm here, but Jesus is here. He's here and he's saying, peace be still. And I felt him say, I have got her, I've got her. And you know, as I walked up and down there, I found a well of joy just 
first night because I knew he was there and I knew he cared. So that joy that Paul is talking about, that rejoicing in God, that knowing joy humanly, at times it is impossible. But with God all things are possible. And you know, if you lined up, I reckon if I lined up a hundred parents and said to them, what do you want most for your children? I think at least 90 of them would say, I just want them to be happy. We've probably all said it from time to time. Just want them to be happy. But happiness comes and goes. You can be happy in the morning and sad in the afternoon. It depends on our circumstances. Joy is something different. Joy in knowing Jesus and being confident in him is a constant, regardless of our circumstances. And just as we as parents would look at our children and say, I just want them to be happy, I believe that our God looks at us, our Heavenly Father, and says, I just want them to be filled with joy. And sometimes that joy is a choice that we have to make because we can wallow in our own circumstances, in our own self-pity. But the joy of the Lord, as Nehemiah said in the Old Testament, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So the next section I've called Knowing Freedom, and it's verses 2 to 6. And after telling them to rejoice in the Lord, Paul then warns the Philippians to be really careful about the people who were saying that salvation through repenting and believing in Jesus Christ is not enough. You see, some people were saying that the new believers in Jesus must also be circumcised as the Jews have been. And Paul starts to tell the Philippians, watch out for that. And then he tells them about his own background. Now, what Mary Berry is to cooking and Rory McElroy is to golf, Saul of Tarsus was to the Jewish faith. In Northern Ireland, we would say he's the man. It was in his genes. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He kept the most strict of Jewish laws faithfully, religiously. And he was determined to stamp out anything that would threaten the Jewish faith. Today, we would probably call him a religious fanatic. The new Jesus followers, he had them dragged out of their homes and flogged, and some of them executed. He was so determined to stamp out this Jesus Christ, this Jesus Christ. And we know that over the generations, lots of people have stamped, tried to stamp out Jesus, but they'll never do it. They try today, but our Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and he can never be eradicated, regardless of what anyone wants to do. You know, everything changed for Saul, who later became known as Paul, when he had a personal encounter with the living Christ. And he tells us that that changed everything because his old laws that he kept were worthless. You know, I, I was thinking about this and thinking, when I was a young Christian, 
looking the part and acting the part were probably more important than anything else. I think we'd forgotten that God tells us in his word that man looks on the outward appearance, but God, God looks on the heart. And I love Grace Fellowship because you can go in on Sunday and there'll be a man sitting there impeccably dressed, beautiful suit, crisp white shirt, snazzy tie, and the guy beside him will be sitting in ripped jeans and a t-shirt and loads of tattoos and nobody bats an eyelid. That's exactly as it should be. And yet I find myself struggling with my own prejudices. Having found freedom in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord, I find myself in danger of thinking that the way I do church is the right way, the way I worship is the right way, the way I pray is the right way. I was listening um, a couple of months ago, I was queuing to get my car washed, and I turned on UCB radio, and it was an interview with a guy who, by his accent, I assume was of African descent, and he was telling how his church had for years prayed for revival. And revival came. And these new Christians started coming into their church. But you know, some of the existing congregation left because they didn't like it. They were pushed out of their comfort zone. And it really spoke to me. Because we're praying for revival, which I believe is coming. We need to be careful. I need to be careful. But when people come into our church who don't do church the way we do, but love Jesus, we need to be very careful that we don't add to the, their belief and our Christianity anything more than God says in his word. So the next section, verses 8 to 10, I've called Knowing Jesus. And as I've said, Paul tells the Philippians that compared to knowing Jesus, everything else is worthless. But how do you get to know Jesus? Look, I'm not qualified to give you a sermon on the theology of getting to know Jesus. But I can share with you how I'm getting to know him. Um, you know, there is a big, big difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing him. And many of us go to church and pray and even read our Bible without having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The first step, the very first step on the journey of getting to know Jesus is to put our faith in him and hand our lives over to him. And then the adventure of getting to know him begins. A few years ago, I was reading Isaiah 50, and verse 4 just leapt off the page. Don't you just love it when a verse does that? And this is what it says, Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom, so that I know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. I remember saying out loud, are you going to wake me up early, Lord? And the next morning, at six o'clock, that's exactly what he did. We sleep with our bedroom window open, and 
At six o'clock the next morning, I was wakened by the sound of a donkey braying loudly in a field close to our house. Our God has a sense of humour. And every morning since then, he wakes me up around six o'clock without the need for an alarm. And I come down to the kitchen. I get a cup of tea and my Bible and notebook. And I get into my favourite armchair. And I sit down, I open up my dressing gown and my wee Jack Russell pops in and I cover him up. He's my wee prayer partner. And I read and I pray and I talk to God. And I find, I find it really helpful to ask the Lord where he is. And sometimes I feel he's got his arm out and he's saying, talk in. Talk in because I want to talk to you. And other times I feel he's taken me by the hand and saying, we're going to face this day together. I'm with you every step. Other times I feel he's saying to me, just sit at my feet because I want to teach you. You need to listen. I want to teach you today. And I begin by asking for forgiveness for my sins because I don't want anything to block that intimacy that we have. And then I invite the Holy Spirit to come. And as I've said, I read my Bible and I pray and sometimes that's it. And I get on with my day. And then other times, other times, God speaks directly to my heart. And maybe it's a verse I've read. Maybe it's a picture that he's brought to my mind or a song that he's brought to my mind. Those times are really precious. And off I go into my day and I just chat to the Lord through the day if I'm in the car or I'm in work and if I'm sitting at my desk. Sometimes I find myself in a, a meeting or a very difficult situation and I'm surrounded by people and I just whisper Jesus' name and I know that he's there. And sometimes my friend and I go up the morns and take a Bible and a notebook and we pray together and then we go off on our separate ways and we just listen, just listen to what God is saying to us. Take time and listen to him. And those times are really precious too. You know, I'm not saying that I have all the answers in getting to know Jesus, but the more I get to know him, the more I want to know him. And the more I want other people to know him. Your journey in getting to know Jesus, it might be quite different from mine. But there's one thing that applies to us all. There are no shortcuts. Getting to know Jesus is a lifetime's work. It doesn't matter what people see in you. It matters what God sees in you. It doesn't matter what your age is, that's why God chose Abraham. It doesn't matter what your experience is, that's why he chose David. It doesn't matter what your past is, that's why he chose Paul. It doesn't matter what your gender is, that's why he chose Esther. It doesn't matter what you look like, that's why he chose Zacchaeus, the smallest one. It doesn't matter about your fluency of speech. That's why he chose Moses. It doesn't matter what your career is. That's why he chose Mary Magdalene. If you're lacking in confidence today, 
I want to remind you that God sees great things in you. He will mould you into something beautiful if you'll allow him. But our God is a gentleman. He will never go where he's not invited. But he waits for you to allow him into your life. So like Paul, forgetting the past, looking forward to the future, with Jesus in our lives, the best is yet to come.